You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, can you believe it? It is the August Cycling Podcast Feminine already. We are well into midsummer, so it's not surprising in this midsummer night's dreamlike haze that I see through the mist, the fairy queen and fairy king of cycling journalism. That is Orla Shenoui and Richard Moore. Hello, both. Hello, am I the fairy queen or is Richard? Well, the fairy queen? I wanted to leave that kind of. I, <laughs> oh. I also. I do want a little compliment that I avoided the obvious bottom half-ass uh, reference to Midsummer Night's Dream. So, you know, to just say you are the fairy king and queen, I think that's that was pretty complimentary. Appreciate that. I've missed your lovely faces. I didn't get to see you last I know. Time. A great return from all... Well, we've seen your face plenty. We saw a lot of your face. <laughs> <Yeah. over. laughs> Can I quickly, before we get stuck into it, I, I think... We haven't mentioned this yet, and I want to give a huge, huge heartfelt congratulations to Rose and Phil bringing a new cycling podcast member into the world. <laughs> a new listener. Very, yes, very one new. Thank you. Thank you. I know I'm already uh, six months uh, pregnant, but I look at, I'm absolutely, absolutely huge. But no, yeah, this, it, it is a great way of yeah expanding the listenership, isn't it? I mean, you both have done your done your dues with that. So I have to ask Richard better. if I get a, a like a friends and family subscription. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, I doubt it. I doubt no, it. No, no, he or she will have to pay like everybody else. <laughs> we might chuck in a casket though. Oh, a little baby casket. Well, congrats. Yeah. Be very cute. Thank you very much. Beautiful. I know. So that's one more, one more listener, which is yeah, good, good news. Richard, how are you? You, you back, back in France again from back the briefly from the Vuelta. I did the first four stages of the Vuelta, and I'm going back out for the for the final week. Um, so yeah, it's kind of strange to leave a race while it goes on. Very odd. Um. You know, riders talk about how hard that is to... It's not quite the same, is it? Um, but, <laughs> it is uh, hard. I but, yeah, I don't hard. know. Yeah, and espe- yeah, especially when it, when, it, when it carries on without you. But uh, I'll be back. I'll be back for that. But, yeah, I'm back for 10 days, and it's nice to be home as well, obviously. But it doesn't feel very Augusty here. No, not here are. either. It's, no. It's a bit chilly. Very grey. Very, mm. yeah. We'll bring the sunshine, kids, eh? Well, exactly. And what better way to bring the sunshine than a interview packed episode which is what we have for you today we have three very different riders with three very different um stories to tell. we have anna kiesenhofer who obviously won the olympic road race in astounding uh fashion um probably one of the biggest upsets in bike racing history i think it's probably fair to say so she was talking to uh richard we have Lottie Kopecki, who's been, who's got, is hard, rarely been out of the top ten. She was also at the Olympics. She finished fourth in that road race. Disappointing um, season, though. Well, I know. Do you know what? I was thinking. I hope we don't end up in the old Lottie Kopecki. How good is Lottie Kopecki's season? Argument. Yeah, I'll have to um, skip back a few episodes to get that I, reference. I know. <laughs> I know. I think I said that she had a really disappointing season. So um, it's lucky I was doing the interview with her. So that's good. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's lucky I didn't do Anna Kiesenhofer, who I did call not a hapless uh, chopper, I think, on the last episode. So I think that, that's, so. that's a compliment. I'd love to be called not a hapless chopper. Everything being called a hapless chopper. Well, exactly, so exactly. relative about it all. The alternative is obvious, isn't it? And uh, then we also have Rachel Nayland, who's got a really interesting story. Um, she was kind of without a team until just a couple of weeks ago and then has performed uh, incredibly well at the Ladies' Tour of Norway. So um, she was speaking to Orla. So we've got all those interviews to come. Uh, and but cryptic criterium, let's not And a cryptic criterium. Yes. The scoreboard to get on to. I know, a good, scoreboard Good to have that's... the real Orla back for that, not, yeah. not the, not the <laughs> fake Orla. Did you get Orla? much love for the, for the not Orla? Are you saying Anyone that wasn't the real Orla? I, no response. You, uh, Orla came on to the line last time, though, didn't yeah, she? Sorry. I, yeah, that was Orla. Yeah, yeah. She didn't. Sounded yeah. a little bit different. Do <laughs> <laughs> you Orla that again, Richard? I just did it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. No. That, <laughs> how will how will listeners how will listeners be able to tell the differences? We'll leave it up to them. <laughs> I know. The, the fake Orla. The fake Orla will appear at some point in this episode. It's up to <laughs> listeners to to try and try and work out. It's like, where's Wally? Spot the fake Orla. <laughs> well, either the fake Orla or the real Orla is going to give us uh, the news roundup for the month. So here we go. The news roundup then. Olympic time trial champion Annemiek van Flöten didn't have to wait long for a follow-up win. She took victory at San Sebastian only three days after returning from the Games, taking a commanding win over Ruth Winder and Tatiana Goderzo. Over at this month's only stage race, the Ladies' Tour of Norway, it was another name familiar to podcast listeners who came out on top on stage one. Kristen Faulkner, who gave us such a riveting interview a few months back, narrowly took the win after leaving her early breakaway companions behind on the closing circuit and that was the Americans first ever women's world tour victory. The storyline was pretty similar on stage two. The winner no less surprising. This time it was Rihanna Marcus of Jumbo Visma taking her first women's world tour win going solo from a breakaway and narrowly holding off a surging Corin Rivera. Stage three's much anticipated summit finish saw the climbers take centre stage. Annemiek van Vleuten shook off the likes of Ashley Millman and Mavi Garcia in a typical long range style to take the top spot and the leader's jersey. And she would hang on to take the overall victory on the fourth and final stage. But it was Chloe Hosking who took the plaudits on the day. The Australian sprinting to the win in her first race back after spending five months in recovery from COVID and gave a beautifully emotional interview afterwards. Ashley Millman and Kristen Faulkner rounded out the podium on GC. Plenty of big name transfers have also been announced in the last few weeks. After finishing her season early with a shoulder injury, Grace Brown will next be seen in the colours of FDJ after signing a two-year contract with the team. A few changes at Movistar with Sarah Gigante joining the Spanish team on a three-year deal while Leia Thomas is leaving to add yet more climbing power to the Trek Segafredo squad. And Hannah Barnes is the biggest name to sign for the Uno X Pro Cycling team so far. She and current Canyon Tram teammate Hannah Ludwig will both be making the move to the brand new team. And we had the terribly sad news of the passing of New Zealand Olympian Olivia Podmore. Everyone at the Cycling Podcast sends their sincerest love and best wishes to Olivia's family and loved ones. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. 
Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens, the continuous glucose monitoring system that, through a small device attached to your upper arm, allows you to monitor your blood glucose and learn a lot about how to fuel properly, particularly when training. Let's hear a little about that from Super Sapiens founder and chief executive, Phil Sutherland. So we got a lot of videos on the website to try and teach and within the app, but then people ask a lot of questions on our Facebook group, you know, the Super Sapiens athlete page. It's a really engaged community of our, our customers. Yeah, it's awesome just to see how active they are. They're posting their graphs and what they ate here and what their intensity was there and what they learned. And you know, the, the best education is just going to be from experimentation, right? And try to correlate what is that food do to me? You know, what is that? How do I feel when this the numbers X versus the numbers Y? And then you reverse engineer it. Okay, if you're glucose on the bike, you feel best at 140. Then you start to figure out what are the fueling strategies you need to get there. Well, the only Women's World Tour stage race that we've had uh, this month was the Ladies' Tour of Norway. And there was obviously a quite, well, it seems on paper like a predictable finish. Annemiek van Floyten winning the overall, winning on the, the first summit finish that they've had ever had at that race. But there were plenty of more unpredictable stories. Uh, no less Kristen Faulkner, who obviously everyone will know from Richard's fantastic interview with her a few months ago, which is very much worth uh uh, a re-listen if you haven't listened to that, um, taking the stage one and then clinging on for third overall. What did you make of her performance, Richard? Amazing. I mean, stage one, you could, uh, you know, it was an incredibly sort of nail-biting finish, wasn't it? Um, she had such a small gap. There was a, a lack of organisation behind, but she rode incredibly strongly to to just hold them off. Um, that wasn't so much of a surprise because we know how strong she is and we've seen how well she's performed in really tough races but holding on for third overall with that you know that climb on stage three uh, a proper you know proper kind of almost alpine climb um that was pretty remarkable i thought and she's still so new to the sport and we're still figuring out you know what she can do and how good she can be and you know this could be the performance end of the year that we that she um takes the most from in terms of you know what she goes on to do um really really impressive uh you know four days racing from her and and like i say that that performance on the on the queen stage probably as impressive as um the stage win but i think she, she yeah she kind of won it in that fashion that people do when they are uh, you know less experienced in the peloton because it was you know kind of uh break away then soloing away then obviously a summit finish you're kind of doing a time mm. trial by yourself you know it doesn't have necessarily that jostling with the pack which we kind of know is something that develops a little bit later from uh, with riders that takes a few more years of experience to kind of get used to that kind of dynamic when racing but I like how you say as well that, that we're trying to work out what kind of a rider she can be and what she can do she's obviously trying to work that out and I think it's beautiful to watch it's been really I'm really glad you did that interview with her so early in the season because I think it's brought she did a lot of, of other interviews as well and I, and I feel like it's really put her on our radar when she needed to be in the sense that we might have overlooked some of her performances and I think it's really exciting to watch her and, and I remember from that interview that you did Richard the freshness of 
spirit that she was bringing to the sport. And I really love that. And I feel like that combined with the obvious talent that she has makes her such an exciting prospect going forward. And I just can't wait to see what she does in the next couple of seasons. She's she's a really exciting watch. And and to get herself into those positions and have a team like Tibco, I know they kind of want to take a step up next year and uh, be a you know world tour team, be a, a powerful team to contend with. But you know they they don't have the firepower that some of the other um, teams have. So for her to get herself into those positions, kind of, you know, not I don't want to say by herself because that's kind of taking away from what her teammates um, do. But you know, certainly not the same as being set up like uh, an SD Works rider is set up to get kind of get into that that finish. Um, or like Movistar, which is obviously a team that is kind of um, has been in the shadows for years and uh, having Anna-Meek van Freuten as a kind of focal point has, has seen real um, success this year. I love seeing what she's brought to this team and not not just in terms of the wins, but the way that every single interview that she's been doing has been talking about the team and talking about giving them all credit. And even when she's surrounded by um, younger, more inexperienced writers, she's bigging that up. She's saying that that's a positive. And I feel like she's such a figurehead now in that team um, that it's giving them so much momentum and so much confidence. And I was just looking after the Ladies' Tour of Norway um, at Movistar this year compared to last year. And so... They're obviously second at the moment in world ranking and women's world tier ranking. So in the world ranking, they're on 6,814 points. In the world ranking last year, they finished on 1,156 points in 16th. And on the women's world tier ranking, which obviously just goes in the world tier races, they're on 3,801 points. And last year, they finished on 650. I mean, it is, you know, they've leapt ahead this year. They've had 16 wins. And fair enough, half of those have come from Anamique. But only half of them, really, you know, yeah. and you look at the likes of Emma Norsgaard has had six wins. Then you've got Yelena Eric and Katrin Allerud with the other two for national championships. But, you know, we can't those anyway. Um, and she's clearly giving something of a boost to that team. It's working. Whatever it is, is working. And I think it's really lovely to see because also whenever she moved there, she had said um, part of her reason and, and you know, you, on the one hand, you have to take everyone at face value. On the other hand, you always sort of second guess. But she said she didn't want to move to one of the other teams that was doing really well because she didn't want a stranglehold in the sport. But it's but it's brilliant. She's brought Movistar right up there now. And they're one of the teams to, to factor in to stage races and one day races where they wouldn't have been before. So um, it's working. Yeah, another thing to note. I mean, Sarah Gigante joining the team next year on a three-year contract. Mm. And... Emma Norsgaard, given an extension, she's signed up for the next three years as well. I mean, Movistar really committing. I mean, we, we've been talking in the other podcasts about the long-term pod, the long-term uh, contracts that are now being offered, which are, are a new thing. And to have that in women's cycling as well is actually quite remarkable. It's um, it's quite an investment Movistar are making in their women's team, and in you know not just Annemiek van Vluten, but in some of their young riders as well. Um, I, I get the sense that. Movistar are really enjoying what their women's team are, are bringing to the the brand, as it were. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, you know, whenever you see on paper Anamique van Vleuten's won something, then it you think, oh, is that really going to be a good watch? I think we all know how that's going to go. But you know, the way that they're racing as a team uh, makes it a lot more exciting, certainly. And you know, we did have a, a win for um, Trek Segafredo, but came from a an unlikely place in having Chloe Hoskin. Uh, winning on the last day and she's been off for I think five months recovering from having COVID and that was her first race back so that was kind of a phenomenal 
win for her. So there was kind of lots of stories, I thought, at the Ladies' Tour of Norway that were interesting. Rihanna Marcus also, you know, a, a kind of an un, another unlikely winner, um, but, you know, a, a winner that thoroughly, thoroughly deserved her victory too. But we should highlight one of the um, stories that people might have missed, which was missed, which was Rachel Nalen, who finished sixth uh, uh, on GC. And uh, you spoke to her all. What was it that, you know, made you want to, uh, what was about her story that you that you wanted to highlight? Just a quick word on Rachel Nalen for those not familiar with her recent story in particular. The former World Championship runner-up had been riding with the Danish team Virtue Cycling in 2019, finishing in the podium of the Tour Down Under and getting top 15 results at Flesh Wallon, the Women's Tour and La Course. Now, you may remember the team folded. Nalen then struggled to find a contract and has spent the last year and a half mostly racing away from the Women's World Tour. Signing with Park Hotel Valkenburg in July is a chance for the 39-year-old to race at the highest level once again. So you had a year without access to a Women's World Tour race, essentially. How difficult was that? And, and did you ever think maybe you'd walk away from the sport? Well, yeah, I mean, look, we we had a couple of uh, World Tour starts sprinkled in there, like the World Tour last year, um, and we were able to start the Giro. But look, it was, it was um, I wouldn't call it a professional environment. It was really stressful, um, not knowing week to week what I was doing, what races I had, um, you know, not to mention, you know, the, the bank account, the financial situation. So it was pretty multifactorial. It was a very highly stressful environment um, and just that ongoing uncertainty and there was just so many uncontrollables um, with everything from race program to equipment to, you know, people and who you trust. And, um, you know, I had a lot invested into it my, myself in terms of the, the partners and um, the energy and the passion and the enthusiasm that I brought into the project. So it was really hard, um, you know, just to, to walk, you know, just walk away. Um, so that's sort of what compounded the whole issue and made it really, really difficult. Um, but yeah, like I said, at the end of the day, it's um, it's a project that just quite simply never, never came to fruition. And, uh, you know, a really sad story that that, that kind of thing is still happening in, in cycling. Um, but look, I just, I used it as a, an exercise to dig deep and control what I could control and it gave me the opportunity to train a lot <laughs> really dig into um, you know the depths of, of endurance training and just learn a lot more about my body and training science and um, yeah and, and then I've just been able to have a really 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 good consistent uh, year of training or two years now of training and um, yeah and, and I've, I've really trained myself into super good shape so um, yeah, it's it's a good. It's been a. I guess that's been the silver lining out of all of it. Um, is less races, less travel, and um, and and more ability to control my my training environment. So tell me how the deal with Park Hotel came about. Then how did this contract come to your table? Well, I, I look. I've always really admired and had um, had a lot of respect for this um, for Park Hotel. Um, I didn't know Raymond, but a, an ex teammate of mine. Uh, we had a good conversation about the team and the project, and she forwarded his contact. And yeah, I gave him a call, and I just, I just, you know, like I'm a person that wears my heart on my sleeve, and I told him that my situation, and I, I said, look, you know, I'd be prepared to um, to come to the t- to the team and um, help 
you know, with some mentoring and guidance with the younger girls and yeah, and uh, and he had a had to think about it and it was really pressing towards the end of the the um the UCR transfer period, so we didn't <laughs> take long to make a decision. But um, I think that you know there was something that really aligned uh, with you know with his project and and their philosophy and um, yeah, so we decided to go ahead and and sign the sign the contract. And then you go and finish sixth in the ladies' chair of Norway, which is a phenomenal <laughs> result. How much of that do you think was hunger at being desperate to race at the top end again? How much of it maybe was having time away, essentially, from the women's world tour without without um, a world tour team and, and all of that time to just concentrate on training? Yeah, well, I don't think all of it was concentrated on training. It <laughs> yeah. was definitely like, it was pretty stressful time you know not knowing my future and having so many you know like uncontrollables um but at the same time it really uh, you know I can't explain how you know how much I really had to dig deep and just and even like not just not worry and not care about like the the ego side of things and Mm. what does everyone think of you and like because I was wearing so much so many emotions during that time of like fear and failure and I'm not ready to retire and and all of these things of like you know what your identity is, is more often than not attached with a team mm. and that's yes and that's your profile and and I was just like you know I I I wasn't attached to you know an organize a performance organization that I was thriving in and that I was proud of and I was like embarrassed and ashamed of that so it was really a lot like emotionally to work through as well um so really when I broke free from that it was just such a liberating feeling and to come into an environment where just where people were enjoying the process having fun um they're relaxed and they're organized and they're professional so coming into the tour of Norway I think it was just a breath of fresh air and it was this is so amazing to be in that environment with those wonderful people that that lifted my capacity like enormously. Um, but then also combined with the fact that I, I was really hungry to race. Mm. Obviously, it ripped away from me for so long that I was just, yeah, I was just going to take any opportunity I could. Do you feel like you maybe define yourself slightly differently now as a cyclist to before? You say about having the shame and embarrassment of not being where you would want to be seen to be, I guess. You sound like now like you're really enjoying cycling again. Do you feel like you identify with it slightly differently? I think so. I think it's been an incredibly humbling experience. And, and if the, I think there's a, there are a lot of male cyclists who could, who could really um, identify with this, with what's happened. You know, there, there are similar stories like the Aqua Blue Project and mm. so on. And, and it's, yeah, they're really difficult um, curveballs to to deal with, and it's very different from having an injury or some other setback or adversity, where it's really it's it's um it's really uncontrollable. Um, and you know, working through that process and knowing that it's not your fault, and um, just you know, trying to to be resilient above above all those uncontrollables but yeah I think you're right I think you're right I think I have it has really transformed my perception of of you know who I am and mm. it's forced me to really understand that I'm I'm an athlete I'm Rachel Malin I'm you know I'm a woman I'm I'm so many things mm. I'm not just a 
a bike rider and I'm not just attached to a team and that doesn't define me. You know, who you race for, that's a wonderful thing to say that you're a bike rider for XYZ team, but that's not who you are. It's such an empowering thing, isn't it, to realise that you, that you don't either fit into one box or you, you're not going to be put yourself into just the one box, isn't it? Um, I want to ask you about that result at the Tour of Norway. How proud of you are that compared to anything else you've done? Look, taking into consideration <laughs> it's my first World Tour race in nine months, I would say it's one of my best performances. Mm. I mean, you know, just like hacking to mentally and physically get yourself to the level where you're the, the physical and the mental and the emotional are all aligned in one place so that you can perform. It's not that easy and I think it's something that I'm I'm really proud of because, yeah, there's not that many people who know what, mm. like, really the depths of what I've gone through. Um, but, yeah, I'm it's, it's up there with one of my best and most proud. I'm just, yeah, I'm just genuinely proud of it. You should yeah. be. It's amazing. Um, and, and it's amazing to see and hear you come out the other side. I think it's such an uplifting experience to share. And that's always, I guess, the benefit of going through such a horrible time in life. There's always something to be learned by yourself and, you know, to share with other people. Um, and so I guess on that, where do you take that forward? What's next? Yeah, I'm a big believer in that and, you know, I it's, it's really hard. Like, I do wear my heart on my sleeve and I've been trying to be positive and you know, my famous saying throughout this whole last 12 months is control the controllables mm-hmm. and I know there are a lot of other people in the same boat. And so with my social media, I've really tried to um, portray that as much as possible and, you know, without giving too many details of the, mm-hmm. <laughs> of the destructive nature of what's happened, um, you know, take people along the journey with me and, and you know, just really apply those stoicism principles Um as much as possible um but yeah so from here i'm looking forward to a really full september um my next race is away and uh, hopefully world championship and then um i'm really targeting the women's tour of britain which mm. is um i love that race so really looking forward to um to targeting that one what are your hopes and expectations from the worlds do you think I need to get selected into the team first. <laughs> yeah, it's a good start. It's a pretty good start. <laughs> pretty strong group of Aussie women, so um, yeah, we'll we'll um, we'll just try and get selected into the team first, and then see. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to our longtime sponsor, Science and Sport, for their support of the cycling podcast Femina and all um, the cycling podcast shows. If you want 25% off all your Science and Sport products, uh, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25. I was going to do that in the the voice of fake Orla. I was going to say that would have been your perfect that, fake later. Orla insert that been, there. Yeah. Yes. S-I-S-C-P-25. No, sing it. Uh, sing it with my voice. <laughs> no, no, I won't do that, Orla. It's not. It's too early in the morning for that. And by um, the way, I'm well, not listen, that, that aggressive. Is too early? Or- ladies, <laughs> ladies, ladies, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to speak to the Olympic road race champion, Anna Kiesenhofer. Um, what should, what what should I ask her? She's obviously been doing a lot of media since the Olympic Games. Um, such a great story. Um, she's such an interesting character, clearly. And uh, as you said earlier on, Rose, 
one of the one of the upsets of of cycling history. You know, it's a, it's a race, a result that we'll be talking about for years, decades to come. Um, and I'm curious to know what she will do next. Um, obviously, she certainly doesn't seem to be rushing into the world tour. That doesn't seem to be um, one of her plans. But I'm I'm curious to to just hear um, for myself all about her build up to the Olympics. What she really realistically thought was possible. What was in her head when she attacked and got away. What was in her head when she attacked also her breakaway companions with about 40 kilometers left. Um, and obviously what she will do next but what 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 do you, what would you two both like to know before i pick up the phone to her i'd be quite keen to know how she's processing all of this because i mean i remember speaking to her just after she'd won and she still seemed a little bit shell-shocked but at the same time you know she's obviously a very intelligent woman and you know she said she would obviously dreamt of winning something you don't go into an olympics without dreaming of it but we all know that that wasn't necessarily a realistic dream, um, which is ironic given what happened. But I'm really just curious how she's processed the fact that she's become Olympic champion and that it actually worked out because it doesn't for almost everyone in the world, you know, in that kind of scenario. Um, and whether she's been enjoying all of this, because as you say, she's been doing a lot of media. I'm, re I'm really curious when someone is, I don't want to say thrust into this position because she's choosing to do um, all of this media so I presume that she's enjoying it but just how her world has changed in any small or big way and, and whether that's something that she's welcoming or or having to readjust to because I find that really fascinating I think the good thing with Anna is that she was such a fascinating win that the that the um, interest has continued and I think sometimes it's difficult after an Olympics it's like you say when you come out of a race you have this real flat you have this real low because nothing in real life can compare to what you just experienced I think she maybe has that advantage of being such a novelty that the requests for interviews are still coming in um, but yeah I'm, I, I just like to know how she's getting her head around it all really on a human level yeah I guess I'd be kind of interested to know if actually winning an Olympic gold was ever really, uh, you know, an ambition. Obviously, everyone can say, oh, I would dream of winning Olympic gold, but there must be very few people who actually dream of winning it and it is their life's goal, it is their life's ambition to win that Olympic gold and everything depends on it. A bit like, you know, you know, Annemiek van Vleuten, I think, you know, you get that feeling from her that that gold means everything. But I'd, I can't imagine that gold medal to Anna Kiesenhofer can mean can possibly mean the same thing. It'd be like, you know, someone asking me if I have an ambition. Well, not not to get into the hapless chopper <laughs> business again. But, you know, it, it, you, you're, you know, as much as people have big dreams, they're always going to be kind of tempered about what with what you actually can realistically kind of achieve. So was it really ever her goal to, to kind of go and win a, an Olympic gold? So I'd be really interested to hear, you know, what she has to say Also, about I asked it. her immediately after the race, which was harder, her PhD or winning Olympic gold. And at the time she said Olympic gold because she couldn't take a step away from it. So I'd be curious to know now which of those two actually she thinks feels harder or which she's more proud of. What's interesting with her, and I think there are parallels with Graham O'Brien, is that the two are the two aspects of her life are intertwined. The 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 maths, the the academic background and the the sport, because it was an incredible physical feat, but there was a sense that she outsmarted everybody, that there was real thinking strategy that went into it. So she, it was almost like, um, you know, you know, she, she managed to, to combine her, her talents, her skills to win an Olympic gold medal, which again gives her story 
kind of extra power, extra weight in a way. So, well, I'll dial her up now, will I? Yeah, we go. go for it. Enjoy. Tell her we said hello. Hello, Anna. Hi. Uh, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, good, good. Where, where, do, I, where do I find you? Uh, I'm in Switzerland, so, so I work in Switzerland and now I'm back yeah. here. Cool. Back at work or...? Um, not really. So, I mean, <laughs> for hmm. Tokyo, the plan was to go back to work once I'm back here. But now I've, uh, yeah, talked to my boss and I get some time off to sort out my new life. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet there's been some sorting out. What's the reception been like from your work colleagues? Uh, oh, like, I mean, it was really overwhelmingly positive. So, like, yeah, so many congratulations. Uh, in general, so many congratulations from the academic world, actually. Um, so even, like, uh, yeah, university professors that I don't know at all, my, my inbox, my work inbox, so it was actually full with mathematicians being so happy about my victory. <laughs> and, that, yeah. and, yeah, also the, 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 the uh, colleagues, um, like close to me, they, they are just happy about the success, and also my boss, he just understands that now I have to, yeah, sort out some important things, and yeah, that I will <laughs> be a little less available these weeks. <laughs> I guess, I guess, a lot of your well, I don't know, maybe maybe you can tell me the answer to this, but did did a lot of your colleagues in the academic world did they know you know the commitment that you were making? I know you've said over the last year and a half you committed everything, you sacrificed everything yeah. for the Olympic road race. Were they all aware of just how much you were sacrificing? Some of them, yes. So with uh, COVID, I was, uh, well, we were all working at home, so it was a bit less apparent uh, that I was, I was basically just, uh, yeah, working and hopping on my bike and getting back to work and not really doing anything else. Um, I mean, they know that I was never really uh, present when there was any social event because I just don't have the time, so... Mm. I really had to reduce my life to the two things, work and bike. And and so were they, have they been surprised as well? I mean, I, I know sort of you, you surprised yourself in a way, but, you know, what, what's, a, what's their reaction been, been like? Because you're obviously, you know, a, a high achiever in, in the academic world. To, to come back with an Olympic gold medal, they must be in, in a, almost a state of shock, are they, some of them? Yeah, of course they were surprised. Then I mean, the whole world was surprised. So I don't know if they were more surprised than the cyclists. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, I mean they know my character. At least they know me somehow. Even if they know me just as a mathematician, whereas the cyclists they didn't know me at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I mean, what what's it been like the last um, since the Olympics? Uh, you know, I, I got in touch with you last week, and last week I think was fully booked. Um, so yeah. you're obviously having to really be quite organized you must be getting a lot of these requests for interviews is that is that something that you've enjoyed is it something that you've found quite challenging it is challenging um it was a bit overwhelming at first i think now i'm yeah regaining control i'm actually trying not to have my agenda too full so when i decline a request it's just because i need time for myself as well so that's just important for me as having a re-meeting in my calendar to have the time for myself and for my training and figuring out like what i want so yeah i've learned to say no that's just it i think yeah well we're very grateful to you for for sparing some time and uh, it's great to 
Great to, to talk to you. I mean, that question about, you know, sacrificing everything for the Olympic road race, and you posted that on social media, you know, well before the the road race itself. And you were, yeah. you know, even if you came 25th, it was it was a sacrifice you were prepared to make, you said. And I wonder why. Um, was it, what was it that motivated you if, you know, you were to make that kind of commitment and that sacrifice and come back with, with 25th, which is a very respectable position. But was it curiosity? Was it was it your sort of academic sort of curiosity to see just how good you could be? So somehow this goal, it developed gradually. At first, actually, the goal was to qualify. I mean, if you ask any cyclist out there, like qualifying for the Olympics, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing goal. Like it's a big goal. Uh, it's not. It's not like being at the start line in Tokyo is something that you can take for granted. So that was actually my big goal, just to qualify. Um, in Austria, we have one spot. Uh, uh, I actually like until uh, like the main qualification races. I, I just prepared like uh, for the qualification itself, and not even for the result in Tokyo. So yeah, at first that was the goal, just to qualify for the Olympics. And of course, once I had qualified, yeah. Uh, it's clear I mean you have to honor this opportunity and and do your best and so then of course the last few weeks uh, I just tried to train and 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 live in the most perfect way possible (laughs) and I mean to the race itself kind of gone gone down in folklore we always apply hindsight don't we to tactics and strategy and so on and and you came up with the perfect uh, strategy on the day but what were you thinking at the start and when you attacked at, at kilometer zero um much has been made of the fact you don't like riding in the peloton was that part of the motivation was that a big part of the motivation to just get up the road in a small group yeah it was part of the motivation and not only because i don't like riding in the peloton but uh, yeah being in the front would give me better chances to get a uh, good group in the end than just like uh, riding uh, behind the peloton because of course i mean if there is a split uh, like also uh, on the Descent, for example, uh, if the group gets stretched out, uh, you just lose a lot of energy. So if I stay uh, at the back of the peloton, chances were that I would somehow either uh, waste too much energy or just be in a bad group in the end. So yeah, uh, in our respect, the best idea was to yeah attack uh, early. I first thought maybe kilometer zero, maybe uh, yeah a bit later after the flat part. Um, in the end, like I looked at the. Um, Weather forecast the the morning of the race, and they announced the tailwind. So I thought, okay, it's better to go as early as possible. And and obviously now, you know, in, in this sort of analysis of the race, much has been made of the the fact that the, the Dutch team had had just four riders, the strongest team in the race, just four riders. Had you been thinking about that as well, about your opponents, and about how the race might pan out, um, given the 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 teams were so small and and if if you could get in a breakaway with a big lead that you might find yourself in a strong position yeah so um uh that's of course something that encouraged me to to attack so it's a very different situation from the usual world tour uh races where you have big teams uh so i knew that this uh in general would favor me of course i didn't know that they would really um um yeah do nothing at all like they did um, so in that respect, I was very lucky. Uh, actually, I, I was a bit afraid of some of some riders who know me, so I did do some UCI races. So one or the other rider knows that I am good, uh, a good climber, and a good time trialist, and I thought that maybe they would tell others and that yeah, they would initiate a chase, but it didn't happen. 
No, I mean, so, some riders were aware. I mean, Lizzie Banks, who obviously wasn't racing, but, you know, I know her very well. She's a colleague on the on the podcast with me, and she um, she she was she was sort of less surprised than a lot of people because you'd been on her radar, certainly. Um, uh-huh. In the breakaway, um, you're with good riders, you know, world tour riders, but, but how, how did you feel? And as the race went on, you clearly felt that you were equal to them, if not stronger. And that, I guess, that's what led to you attacking them eventually. Yeah, so, I mean, I knew beforehand that I'm actually stronger than most world tour riders uh, in terms of power in terms of what's per kilo. And so I've been going to the race with that confidence that physically I'm strong enough. It's just like, yeah, the whole race scenario, the tactics, like the position in the peloton, that's kind of my problem. Uh, Then when I was in the breakaway, uh, I felt that like indeed on the climbs, I I wasn't hurting and I, I saw, I thought that the others were hurting. So, yeah, that just reassured me that, um, mm. yeah, I was the strongest of the group and I had to go at some point because otherwise I would just drag them to the finish line. I read that you um, that, that you were expecting a flash of orange at any point, but <laughs> how, how, how much information did you have during the race about you know, the lead that you had and what was happening behind? Actually, I only watched the race last weekend and there were many things actually that I hadn't known. So I didn't know that uh, Anamik was, uh, that Anamik had attacked. I, I actually, like the only information I had were really the gaps. I didn't know who uh, was like the person uh, with the time gap I was shown. So I didn't know if it, if it was Anamik or my uh, companions from the chase. Uh, so uh, yeah, so I didn't know much about what was going on uh, in terms of the uh, time gaps. I just saw the board from time to time, not as often as I, w- I would have liked to. That's why I was always like uh, turning my face to the mm-hmm. camera actually, because I was hoping for the for the board with the time gaps. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when I was watching the race, I, I thought it looked a bit stupid all the time. I'm looking into the camera, but that's that's why. I- because I was hoping it was the motorbike with the board. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to to watch the race back? That must have been quite a quite a strange experience, was it? Yeah, it was funny also because the uh, commentators they didn't know me at all and they were saying a bit like stupid things. Um, so it was also funny because they seemed to like uh, Google my name or like mm. try to find information about me. And then as the race progressed, they knew more and more about me. And suddenly they knew that I had won already a stage of one two. And <laughs> it was a bit funny. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll not, I will not embarrass the commentators by asking you what language you were watching in. But uh, certainly there were there were a lot of uh, I'll, I'll admit to to wondering myself um, about the attack with with around 40 kilometers to go and I guess but I guess we were watching you know what was happening behind as well which you didn't maybe know yeah. about we, we could see that Annemiek van Vluten had got away and, and expected her to eat into advantage and, and it looked like the best chance that you had was to remain as a threesome but that wasn't uh-huh. that wasn't the case and and you uh, you know whether that was calculated or just sort of instinct um it was the right thing to do clearly yeah, so actually like on the flat part uh, around the lake, uh, I, I really saw that the others, they were just not pushing hard anymore. Uh, and it's not because they didn't want to, but I think they were really getting tired and I, I felt that they were <coughs> tired. So 
I had to go. I was just fast on my own. Uh, I was really scared that if we were uh, riding so slowly, the peloton would catch us, even uh, like Anamik attacking or not. Like if we are not pushing, uh, yeah, there is no chance. So I had to go and just ride on my own. And one of the one of the places where we did learn a lot about you during the the the, the road race itself was on Twitter. Um, you know, you you documented there some of your preparation. I think a lot you've deleted a lot of those those tweets now, haven't you? I don't know. What was the reason for that? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's actually uh, quite a funny story. So I wasn't aware that people would... Okay, I mean, I actually have post very little on social media, so maybe the two tweets that I mm. made, like uh, maybe I have five tweets uh, in my whole life, so the last two kind of... They <laughs> kind of made it into all the magazines. Um, and the reason I deleted them was that, uh, yeah, since I was tagging uh, the company that produced the sensor, I felt that maybe people thought I was sponsored by them or something, that it was an advertisement for them, but that's not at all the case. So uh, I was just wondering about, um, yeah, about yeah. strategies for heat adaptation. So it was a purely academic question and not an advertisement for the sensor. Yeah. And so I didn't want people to think that I'm endorsing um, this sensor. Uh, I'm not saying that the sensor is bad, but I cannot give any guarantee for its precision. So I didn't want people to say, oh, she's using that, so it's good. Got I can't you. say yeah. if it's accurate. So that's it. So I thought, okay, I'll delete it. Afterwards, I regretted it a bit because it seemed to give me a good image of somebody who is thinking about the training, uh, which is definitely the case. Mm. But yeah. I didn't want to have any misunderstanding. No, that make, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, th- I guess the the story the story of this Olympic road race uh, and and of you is is of the two strands of your life, cycling and math, sort of or academic study yeah. converging perfectly. Um, you know, and, and I guess a lot of the focus afterwards was on how you approached it, how you prepared for it, how you really applied that kind of scientific rigor to it, and and you outsmarted your opponents. Um, are, are you are you happy? I mean. Are you happy for that discussion to be had? Does that does that detract at all from the the physical, the sheer physical achievement of winning the Olympic road race? Oh, well, no, I wouldn't say that it detracts. Or it's, I I, I see it as a bonus. So it it makes me proud, like having both been strong in the legs and also having been smart enough, like in my preparation and during the race. So I kind of find it cool the way I won. Mm. And did, did you feel in the road race all that work, all that thinking you, you you put into preparing for the heat especially, did you feel like that that paid off? Did you feel in the race as if you'd, you'd got it right? Yeah, definitely. It, it was really an amazing feeling. Like, I mean, often you work hard and you don't really get, uh, get the reward you were hoping for. And you're like, uh, yeah, uh, there are no problems. You know, in sports, there are always some problems. And it, yeah, because of something, you couldn't do what you wanted to do. And here, everything was just coming together. So it was, yeah, it was really cool. Like, it was a hot day. So the, the heat adaptation had made sense. I mean, it could have been raining. And, mm. <laughs> you know, it would all have been for nothing, the heat adaptation part. And often in sports, it's like that. You do something, and in the end, you can't really use it. Uh, and also, like, the long rides, I'm more like an endurance kind of person and I hope that the Tokyo race would be more like a, a race where stamina is important and not so much uh, explosive power and it was training in that way as well which was a bit of a gamble mm. and it worked out in the end I just had to be strong over four hours and not have a high like 30 second sprint power <laughs> 
And uh, my, my colleague uh, Orla Shinoui interviewed you in Tokyo immediately after the race, and um, we do the the podcast together. And she 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 commented when we were speaking earlier today that that she'd asked you whether you would swap your the Olympic gold medal for your PhD or which which you valued more. And I think you said the Olympic gold medal <laughs> in the immediate aftermath. Two two or three weeks later, do you still feel like that, or is that an unfair uh, question? Yeah, I think yeah, I think she asked which one was harder. Oh, okay, sorry. And, uh, I said that the Olympic gold medal was harder. Uh, I, I mean, if you look at the number of people who have a PhD, or also the number of people trying to have a PhD versus those that achieve their goal, uh, I guess that the ratio uh, will be like the ratio of people achieving their PhD who want a PhD uh, will be much higher than people who want an uh, uh, Olympic gold medal. <laughs> In that sense, I think it's harder to win Olympic gold. Uh, if you're reasonably smart and you want a PhD, you can get it. Certainly, fewer fewer people fewer people have the Olympic gold. Uh, Orla will kill me for yeah. mi- misquoting her, but never mind. Um, that that would have been oh, an unfair. No that would have been an unfair question. Um, you mentioned as well that Annemiek van Vluten was a very gracious uh, um, runner-up, a silver medalist on the on the day. Uh, so, uh, as I already said in some of the interviews, I didn't even know what had happened. So I, I didn't see her arrive. I didn't know that she thought she had won, and there was also nothing about her demeanor that uh, kind of made me think that there was something wrong because she was just super nice and yeah mm. you know very re- super respectful and so on so it actually upset me a bit that <laughs> some journalists were saying that she didn't congratulate me and stuff like that no she, she was super nice so what what now i mean um you know what's it been like adjusting to life as as olympic gold medalist and and what what are your thoughts about what's next for you um, in in cycling, what what? Because I I guess you've probably had offers from teams and so on, but I gather you have no ambitions to to join a world tour team or to to enter that kind of world of of um, professional road racing again. What what's next for you? Oh, that's uh, some really big questions, and uh, I don't even know the answer for myself. Um, so yeah, as you say, I don't want to going to a professional team. Uh, I still have uh, some commitments at university and I want to um, stay like at university as le- at least like uh, as as part of my life, as part of who I am. Uh, I mean, I've always been like uh, a person who likes to think and yeah, I don't want to give up the academic life altogether, but I do want to make cycling a bigger part of my life. Um, I, I can't really say what races I will target. Uh, there are many things that interest me, not not necessarily like uh, UCI races, but yeah, other challenges related mm. to cycling. But I, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't even know it for myself. So I don't want to make any false uh, promises. <laughs> I guess um, in, in, road, in a road racing context, you'd probably be quite a marked woman if you attacked at kilometer zero again. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's also why my motivation to road races is quite limited uh, because I mean what can I achieve um, I, I I mean like having an Olympic gold medal you can hardly do better than that <laughs> I, I, <laughs> exactly I mean just I mean just on that um, it's, it's an interesting point about being uncomfortable in a in a peloton because it's it's not something that a lot of riders talk about but um, I suspect a lot of riders do feel it or or struggle with it um i mean did did you did you try and uh, uh, did you try and overcome that i guess you did but were there ways in which you could uh, uh, you know use that 
academic brain of yours to to even try and think about how you might um address that and uh, overcome it yeah sure i mean i was mm, thinking a lot about the problem when i started racing and at that time i i wanted to fight the problem and you know like okay i i got a bit better like just doing races you get used to the fact that you might crash at any moment um and then when i after my my break from uh road racing so i was with lotus sodal and then i took a break because i was burned out after that uh i paid much more attention to what i want what i what what i really want and not do stuff that i'm supposed to do and I just actually refused to even try to ride in the bunch uh, because it's so opposed to my nature. For me, it's like riding, like driving on the highway with your car and just not keeping the safety distance. Uh, Mm. Like the crashes, they are a reality and I just wasn't prepared for the risk and I still um, am not prepared for the risk. That's just it. So... Of course, there's something like there's a skill of being able to ride in the peloton, but which I don't have because I don't have to practice. But there is also, and especially, the willingness to ride in the peloton, and I don't even have the willingness. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean the the rational um, the rational approach is it. The fact is, it is dangerous, and and there's very little you can do to mitigate yeah. that. No matter how yeah. skillful you are, you will you yeah. will probably fall off over the course of a season, and and it hurts. Exactly. Yeah. Did, yeah, you know, like as a matter of fact, like in almost every race you have at least one crash and it's just a matter of luck whether you're in it or not. So, yeah, r- rationally uh, thinking, it's uh, it's a real risk. <laughs> well, listen, Anna, it's been really, really interesting to speak to you. I wonder when, do you, do you know when you're going to go back to work? Are you just, have you been, you know, are you, are you able to take as long as you need to, to kind of manage your life and organize things? Uh, so actually, like I, I'm still working mainly from home. So uh, I do a couple of hours here and there. So it's not that I've been completely off. Uh, and yeah, as soon as I have more time, I'll do more. Great. And when might we see you? I mean, without giving away what your your plans are, <laughs> and I can imagine there's, you know, all kinds of opportunities in different forms of cycling for you. But when might we see you in competitive action again? Uh, so the European Championships, uh, like individual time trial, are uh, on my schedule, as well as the uh, World Championships individual time trial. So the answer is very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's see. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to focus on time trialing right now after all that has happened. But yeah, I'm trying my best. <laughs> and do you think we might see you in uh, in Paris at the Olympics there, um, either in the time trial or defending your road race title? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Cryptic criteria. Top of the morning to you. Oh, <laughs> sneaky! Oh, you're back. <laughs> What's the crack? <laughs> oh God, that's terrible. Uh, I apologise now to my neighbours for starting their morning with a cowbell. Um, I apologise to our listeners for the intrusion of Ian Paisley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, um, it, I, to be honest, I can't find the scoreboard, but I'm just going to think. I think it was pretty I think it was even keel. I know, I'm pretty sure if I wasn't mm. winning, it was it was equal. I think the one. Okay. I think the one that you did with fake me doesn't count, Richard. I don't, I don't to be think honest. I got it, or lost. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's say we're all we're all square. 
Maybe one of our listeners yeah. will, will be keeping score better than we are. And if will, you are will, and Richard is winning, just keep it to yourselves, yeah? Because I do always make a show of writing it down, but then obviously I just write it in a random bit in this massive notebook of mine and I have no idea. But I will, I will find out what the scores are so that we know for the September episode exactly where we stand. Um, but, well, I'm going to roll on with it. Here we go. Are you ready? Oh, I yep. get so nervous oh, right off the go. Okay. It's normally a place you go to get water from deep below, but it is full of tiny bits of bread. Well, crumbs. <laughs> Cromwell. Cromwell. Uh, Tiffany Cromwell! Tiffany Cromwell! <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany Well Crumbs is a very cute name, yeah. though. <laughs> Why? Even when when I'm thinking, what I'm thinking sounds ridiculous. I think if I say it out loud, it might. And Rose's face when I said "well crumbs," she's like, "Yeah, yeah." I'm thinking, "Oh, I'm going to something in here." Wasn't it? Very oh, encouraging. Okay. Well, so it's very wow. very risky because that's happened before, Orla, and then Richard just sits there silently and then just, and then and just, just smacks you in the face. Pounces, yeah. pounces like a like a top class sprinter. Luckily, he just sat there looking <laughs> gormless this time. Or- Orla, Orla is my Michael Morkov. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear Michael Morkoff took the win thank you very much yeah <laughs> finally got his exactly. gold finally <laughs> oh that gives me so such we, um, deep well, delight I cannot express to what extent that makes me happy that was I, this is this is exactly when you want the podcast to have a video element because it's just that reaction <laughs> obviously no everyone, it would, everyone else would have just heard it go silent as we watched all alike <laughs> Pumping fists and jumping around. We're recording this Zoom. That's just audio, though, isn't it? Tell me that's just audio. Uh, no, do you oh, know no. what? I think it has Why to do with the video no, no, element. No, 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 no. I think it's just audio. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a look now. I wouldn't bother normally looking, but now I'm going to have a look. Such a good reaction. Well, well done, Orla. We, you know... I take we, it in my stride, You know, not very... <laughs> well done, Orla. You inch ahead. Okay, the next time. Yeah, this is the, yeah, not very, um, you know, it's cycling podcast, you know, analysing results. And I haven't even bothered to write down what the current running total is, which is not a good show for me. But we'll find out. But I think probably all is probably snuck ahead there. Well, someone will let us know. At least I haven't fallen further behind. That's what I'm happy with. I'm at the very least level now. Well, I know everyone is mainly interested in this podcast about the cryptic criterium and how what the standings are for that. But, you know, there are some pretty major races still to come uh, this season. One of them being the World Championships, which are going to be held uh, just at the end of September. Actually, it's come upon us very, very quickly. They're going to be in Leuven uh, in Belgium, a Flandrian uh, affair. And one of uh, Belgium's finest riders, and actually it's surprising how there are not that many female Belgian riders um, that are really kind of uh, occupying the top spots uh, in the peloton. But Lottie Kopecky has certainly been up there and for, for many years. Uh, yeah, she's, you know, rarely been outside of the top 10 um, this whole season, through the whole season. And the World Championships are one of those things that she's looking forward to. So I caught up with, with her and we talked a little bit about Olympic disappointments the road racing season so far, and obviously those world championships, which we're looking forward to at the end of September. Well, Lottie, obviously the Olympics only finished uh, just a couple of weeks ago, or even less than that now even. Um, what was your feeling from that? You were one of the few riders that were was competing both on track and road uh, at the Olympics. Uh, yeah, well, in first place I was uh, really disappointed about actually the track. Because um, there was 
almost two weeks between the, the road race and the track race. So, yeah, it, it's it's more disappointment of the track race that that is more fresh in the head than the fourth place on the road race, which was actually really a really good uh, yeah effort there. But um, I really was so eager to 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 get an Olympic medal, and um, yeah, it's it's really uh, disappointing that I didn't get the or didn't achieve the goal. Do you think it it's hard because there was such a big gap between the road race and the track? racing to you know sustain a peak level or you know did you need that amount of time between the two events in order to be able to perform well at both no actually it was not really a problem at first i i really yeah i did think that i needed a time in between to to get back on track and a track bike and to get the track feeling again but actually Immediately after the road uh, when i got on the track i really had good feeling already so yeah it's not that it was too long after the road race but yeah if i think about it now then if it was six days after the road race it would have been it would have been good also so yeah and it's very obviously very unlucky having a a number of crashes both in the madison and and in the in the omnium has that kind of changed how you i guess i guess that is part and parcel of um of track racing uh isn't it yeah, on the road, if you crash, you you can break or you can try to avoid it. But on track, um, there's yeah, just so little little space to avoid it, and um, yeah, most of the time you, you you just cannot. So yeah, it's part of track racing. And um, last years I've been actually really uh, lucky with the crashes, and I didn't have so many. But now it's like I got them all together on the Olympics. Yeah, not good. Not good time to do that but does it does does it make you think it in future olympics that because you do juggle um track and road um you know probably a lot more than most other riders in the peloton does it make you feel like you want to focus on one now for you know for the next olympic cycle at this moment i i don't know yet i just want to focus uh, on the world championships and on paris-roubaix um and then afterwards, I will, I will, yeah, think about it and and yeah, see what's possible. So with the track calendar, which is now in the yeah in summer, so yeah, if it um, if it's what if it's at the same date as, as Tour of Flanders or Perube, then what will I choose? Yeah, it's it's really uh, hard to to say now what other rare one to ride at the next Olympic next Olympics. So um, the feeling that I have now is, can I stop with track with? This feeling is a bit like no, I cannot. But on the other hand, it's yeah, it's not always easy to combine track and road. Although it made me the rider which I am right now. So yeah, it has some advantages, but also some disadvantages. I'll have to see later what's uh, what's the best uh, option for me. And it must be a strange feeling, especially with this Olympics, it being five years um, to wait for it for it to be suddenly over. But I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess you've got other focuses uh, on the road still. But is it, is it a strange feeling that you know the thing you've worked for is has gone, and now you've got you know another three years for the next Olympics, and you've got a load of road races in between. It was a long period, but I was also happy with the extra year. Actually, if things don't go as you as you wish, they yeah they would go. Then um, yeah, it has been a really long preparation. So it's yeah kind of sad but um, like you said there are already uh, some next um, opportunities in a few weeks so um, yeah it's it's um, it's a matter of refocusing now and um, and try to get ready for uh, yeah for that 
And your road season so far has been absolutely incredible, really. You've been kind of rarely out of the top 10, almost, on all the races that you've started. Yeah. How do you... Uh, but you still, you've still had moments of bad luck, which is incredible to have the results that you've had and still have had. I remember there was that mechanical um, towards the end of Strada Bianchi. Um, how do you judge your, se- your road season so far? Yeah, it's my best road season I've ever had since yeah i started cycling so i'm really pleased with that um but i'm even more pleased with the progression i made the last two years and yeah that i'm able to yeah to have such a consistent season yeah with a few wins um and yeah being there in the final of almost every big race is um yeah it's something that uh, really motivates me, and yeah, for now I'm I'm, I'm really uh, proud on the season I had already. I'm also looking forward for the races uh, that are still still coming. Well, that was Lottie Kopecki. Obviously, she's looking forward to the World Championships. It's something that we're going to be talking about on the next episode of Feminan. We'll be looking, previewing that, and working out who the front runners. Certainly, Lottie Kopecki's got to be uh, among them. I mean, that kind of course is going to suit her down to the ground but uh yes team that's that's all that we have time for here at um the cycling podcast and i do really mean that because we're actually up against the clock um for Rich's once got a doctor appointment um, or something don't you richard dentist i've got a doctor's appointment yeah um <laughs> we won't go into it <laughs> no, I don't, but... we don't have to go into it but you know it's in it's in 12 minutes and i haven't had a shower yet <laughs> oh the doctor's my God. used to Whoa. sweaty smelliness so surely that's that's in the job description you're all right no, no, I think I'll have a shower before I go. I'd rather be late than arrive early and dirty. Oh, really? I think the doctor would probably rather oh. early and dirty. I don't know. It depends. Um, it's um, it's very very relaxed here in France. The doc, the doctor surgery. I mean, this is a whole this is a whole podcast actually. The yeah, th- what I like is this this conversation is making you both later and dirty. <laughs> I know. I know. So it's ridiculous. So you're either going to be later and smellier, or the shower is going to have to be even quicker. What's your record? What's your record time in a shower? Oh, I can do a shower really quick. Really, you don't finish really off quick. with a bit of cold there, and that that takes a bit longer. Basically, come out of the shower still still dirty and smelly, so it's it's absolutely perfect. Great. And wet. And wet. That's even better. That's ideal. Brilliant. Right, well, good luck with the shower, All right, Richard. Richard. Well, we. Yeah, we better let you go. All of we better let you go as well because you've got to get back to our screens. Yes, do. Yeah, do. It's been all about twelve hours of getting withdrawal symptoms. Yeah, twelve exactly. hours. We're all, we're all getting, we're all getting withdrawal symptoms. There's my, there's my, there's impression. Uh, right, yeah, we better, we better wrap it up, eh? Look, look right. forward, yeah, look so forward to seeing you later, Orla, on the telly. Thank you. I'll give you both a wink, and everyone oh, watching. Oh, nice. Lovely. Well. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, and, Rose. And good luck at the doctors. They- and thank you all thank you both it's been a pleasure bye bye